Thanks, Doug. Thanks for the warm welcome. And um, this reminds me of home. I try to escape this sort of weather by coming to one of the best, you know, Joburg has got the best weather in the world, top 10 cities in the world for weather. We haven't got the beaches like Cape Town, but, but today it doesn't look like it, does it? Whoever's praying for rain, you can now stop, okay? <laughs> we're good. We, we got the, the crops, we got the water in the ground. We're good now. Um, but it's really nice to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm here with Michelle and my kids. I assume we're going to a kids' church of some sort. Uh, they're not here, so, I mean, if you see them wandering around and they're lost, you know, and they're saying, where's, where's Daddy? You can just point in my direction. I, I'm hoping they're good. And it's really cool to be together because in advance, we, we're a group of churches together and we do things together. And so it's really awesome to be partnering. I, I never want to be in part of a single only church. You want to be part of something bigger, something better, and it's really exciting to be here today. We send greetings from God first in Benoni and in Boxburg, two congregations now. Uh, Michelle and I arrived to Benoni, and we were living in four ways at the time. And um, she was telling one of the mums at the school that we're relocating to Benoni. And the mum goes, oh, shame. She goes, maybe your husband will get a transfer back in a few years. <laughs> but uh, we really love, actually, Benoni. It's, it's, uh, we lived in four ways for most of our married life. We've been married 12 years now. And four ways, if you're up from that, that side, I know down here it's cool and trendy, and four ways is just like busy, and it, traffic is mad there. I'm so glad to be in the suburbs. We're, we're at the edge of the city, and you go beyond us, it's just fields and fields and fields. So it reminds me of where I grew up in home. But um, I was praying for you guys, and as I prayed, I kept seeing this picture of a, an iron stake just hammered into the ground, and it's solid. And it reminded me of a quote once, um, in the Second World War, Winston Churchill said of General Montgomery, he's like an iron peg hammered into the ground, immovable, in his Churchillian way. That I, you know, and I feel this church, that God has placed you here, not just, just gently, but hammered you in deep, and you're immovable. And it's an outpost for the kingdom. It says we're, we're, we're to be ambassadors for Jesus. And we, God's established an embassy here but it's hammered deep into the ground. It's immovable. So be unshakable. We're inheriting an unshakable kingdom. I just want to encourage you, stand firm. We're in a, a culture where anything goes, where you can be pan everything. Stand firm. When, when it feels tough, when if you're single, everyone around you is having sex and stuff, stand firm say, I'm, I'm living pure for Jesus. Be immovable. It, it's important. We only get a short chance in life to live for Jesus, and then we'll be with him forever, and there's no more sin. There's no, no need to operate in faith once you get to heaven. So you have a chance this morning to speak into faith. I want to encourage you and impart faith to you. I, I preached this um, down at Common Ground in, in Cape Town, and we did two services, and, and, and I spoke about faith, and I want to do the same thing this morning and just impart some of the faith that God's given me and just speak into his word. But I, I want to tell you a story. I was... We did it in Common Ground in South Peninsula, and they said, look, we've got two services. We've got the main service here as well, and then you've got the people at home, so please greet them. So I said, I said to the guys, hi, and then we moved on. So if there's anyone here watching online, uh, welcome. If you're in your pajamas, just enjoy the service. We'll see you just now. Um, and then what happened was we preached the first service, and this guy rushed to the second service. And he, said, he said, I have to admit, I was lazy this morning. I was in my pajamas just watching on... And then I saw all this faith stuff, and I had to get here just to be prayed for. So unfortunately this morning, if you're in your pajamas, you've got no chance because there's only one service, so you missed your chance, guys. But you can catch it online, and, and it'll be on YouTube and all that. But let's get into the message. I want to ask you this morning, 
Who do you want to impress? Now, come on, you all want to impress someone, don't you? I mean, if, you, if you're in, work, in the working world, you want to impress your boss, you can get more influence, higher pay. If you're um, in the dating phase of life, maybe you want to impress that person. Maybe you're single, just have a look around the room, and, and maybe there's someone you want to impress this morning. I'm not seeing any, many heads move. Um, parents want to impress their kids. They want to make an impression on their kids because they want them to, to grow up in the way of Jesus. We want to impress upon them. And I, I want to tell you a bit of a... Uh, admit something here. I was a bit of a teacher's pet at school. I wasn't one of the cool kids. I really want to impress the teachers. I wanted to... I was encouraged because you get affirmation. You answer a question right and you go, excellent answer, Andrew. And you do it again and again and again. And so... I, early on, my life was about doing well at school, impressing teachers, and um, I think I peaked at high school, unfortunately. I, I got straight A's in A-level, and then my life's never been quite so amazing since then. But, you know, all of us are trying to impress someone. And the sad thing is that your teachers only applaud you for so long. They don't follow you around for the rest of your life saying, well done, Andrew, you're, you're doing well. They've got lives to lead themselves, and and the problem is we're just trying to impress people. We'll, we'll never be fully satisfied. A university had a huge revelation. I went to St. Andrews University, uh, around the coast of the east of Scotland, where it rained like this all the time. I mean, it's a, it's a Lynx golf course, seven courses, but all of them in the wet, you know. And, it's, uh, and I learned there that Jesus is the one to impress. And after that, I decided I want to live my life impressing him more than anyone else. And I want to introduce you this morning to one of my heroes in the book of Matthew. And unlike most char characters in the book, he's a Gentile person. Who here is a Gentile? And we got any Jews amongst us? I know. So everyone else, the rest of us are Gentiles. You're not very interactive people, you know. I put my hand up and no one's responding, you know. You can relax a bit. We're in Africa, you know. We're not in Europe. This is not England where you have to be stoic. And I grew up in the Anglican church, wooden pews, you know, no one raised their hand. Even when the preacher asked, will you raise your hand? The guys, we're in Africa. So just relax. So if you could turn to Matthew chapter 8 with me, that'd be great. Let's read the story. This is about a Gentile who caused Jesus to marvel. And I've called, I call this talk this morning, Great Faith. That's what we want to do. So Matthew 8, verse 5 through to 13, it said, When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is living paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Isn't that incredible? Just like that, Jesus said, I will come, not I will pray for him, I will come and I will heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word. With, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those that followed, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you that many will come from the east and the west, and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom were thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done as you believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. It's an incredible story. And what I love about it is that Jesus, you know, the creator of the universe, stops and is marveled by someone's faith. You cannot believe it. And this isn't a person who's grown up in Judaism and learned about God. This is someone who comes to faith late in life. And, and Jesus said he's marveled by him. Now you have to have a bit of background to understand what's going on. So Jesus had just given the Sermon on the Mount. He is already established as a rabbi. And a rabbi in those times, they, they collected um, Talmudim. To be a rabbi, you had to have people who followed you. And usually they were like 14, 13-year-old little boys who'd gone through their bar mitzvahs, and they were learning to be a rabbi. And Jesus was unusual. He picked fishermen, he tax collectors, not the usual sort of Talmudim. But he was, a, he was a rabbi now. He was walking around. His Talmudim were following him. I don't know if you've seen that a story where they said that, you know, to learn the ways of a rabbi, you walk in his shoes. And the, if a rabbi has a stoop, you learn to have a stoop as well. And the, these guys spent three years just learning everything they could. And yet it was a Gentile centurion who caused Jesus to marvel, not the people who had given up their lives to follow him. And what was different about Jesus, as you know, he was different because he had authority, the Bible says. He was a rabbi that had authority to cause sickness to go, demons to flee, and the blind to see. And enter into his path, a Roman centurion. Now, I grew up in the pantomime in the UK. Every Christmas, you go with your family, and, you know, the pantomime is all aligned. So it's just a comic story, but there's always a baddie, always a hero. And when the baddie comes on, the lights go green, and everyone goes, boo, and, and there's little kids, we were like, we would cheer, we'd cheer when the goodie came on, but we'd boo and shout, and once my brother goes, it, it, the, the baddie come on, and everyone's booing and hissing and stuff, and he's silenced, and my, my little brother goes, get off! <laughs> and he goes, I'll get off when I'm good and ready, thank you. <laughs> but here you've got the Roman centurion, and for most Jews, this was somebody who was to be feared and someone to be hated, because they were under oppression, and Roman soldiers used their authority to make people do stuff. I'm sure you've heard that the Roman law was that if a Roman soldier asked you to walk a mile with you, you had to go with them, whatever they wanted. Drop what you're doing. He says, right, I need you to carry this, go. But this Roman centurion was different. He was feared. He had a hundred people beneath him. That's what a centurion was all about. If you see the, the pictures, the centurions are the ones with the big sort of red sort of um, dustpan and brush sort of, sort of like he's sweeping. I don't know, understand that, but that's a centurion. And they had a hundred men at their command. And if you look in the Gospel of Luke, it gives us a bit of understanding, a bit of background to this. In Luke's rendition, it's not just the centurion who comes, but some high-ranking Jews come with him. And they say, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And that's the actual picture of the ruins of the Capernaum synagogue that was built by this Roman centurion standing today. And amazingly, Jesus said, okay, let's go to your house. And now for a Jew, Jew to go to a Gentile's house, it's a bit problematic because you have to be ritually cleansed once you leave the place. Um, it's, it's, it, it's forbidden for a Jew to get contaminated. They have to get ritually cleansed. And Jesus said, okay, I'll go. And it would have caused horror. That they were like, why is this rabbi going to this Gentile house? And they eat pig and all sort of stuff there. 
I'm sure it would have been this really cool Roman villa on the edge of Capernaum, or maybe it was just um, it was a military fort. And I had, had a look at some of the, the, the way that the places people lived. And the centurion, if it was in a military fort, he got to have his own two, three-bedroomed little add-on where the, everyone else was in barracks as soldiers, or one bed each in a massive dormitory. The, the centurion got to have his wife, have his kids with him, and, and they lived in this place. And Jesus said, I'll go there and heal your servant. And he says, no, no, you don't need to do that. Just say the word. You don't need to come. I once uh, worked at a GP practice as, in my training to be a medical doctor in the UK, and we're in Manchester, and there's a, quite a Jewish area of Manchester where people wear the, the, the tassels and they put the uh, th- phylacteries in their hair, and incredibly sort of strict Jewish people. And in this GP practice, there was a microwave and kitchen for us Gentiles, and there's a microwave and kitchen for the Jews. And um, if you go to the next slide, here's a, a modern Jewish home with that same divide because you don't mix milk with meat. But, it, but in the practice, it was you don't mix Gentiles with, with Jews. So I was only allowed to, to, to work in one side of the kitchen to get, make a cup of coffee and stuff like that. And we've got that situation here. It's, it's, it's problematic if Jesus goes. And he says, actually, don't trouble yourself, Rabbi. Just say the word. It will happen. And it's this part that, where Jesus is taken aback. Up to this point, it's just a normal conversation with Jesus. He goes around, he prays to people, lays hands on the sick, they get healed. But he's, Jesus is absolutely shocked because the rabbi says, I don't need you to come and enter my house and lay hands. Just say the word. It says in verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. Just take a moment to, to think about this. This... This centurion has had the best day ever in his life. We talked about our best our enjoyment in the week and what's the best. This is the best day ever he's ever had. Because little does he know, this moment, the creator of the entire universe, the person who Paul writes in Colossians was, is the sustainer of all things. This person looks at the Roman military officer and goes, wow. See, if it's even possible, Jesus is surprised by him. He can't believe the deep understanding of the mechanics of the kingdom of God. This guy has that none of his Talmudim have at this point. And then Jesus goes further. He says, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. No one in the whole of Israel? It's good news for us Gentiles sitting here today. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Once Jesus starts bringing out the patriarchs, you know something huge has happened. When you're compared with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom, it's huge. And what is good news for us? Because we have the chance to have the same faith as the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't know what your background is here this morning. I don't know if you come to faith very recently or you've been long-standing in faith, or maybe you're not crossed the line of faith this morning. The good news in this story is that you can have a shot and making Jesus marvel. I want to tell you a few stories of the journeys I've gone in, in faith. When I was in 22, I, I went to med school. Uh, well, part, as part of med school, you have to go to uh, overseas five, or it was a 13-week placement overseas. And all my mates went to Australia because they, they go to two weeks in the hospital and then have 11 weeks holiday touring around Australia. And I was like, Jesus, I don't want to just do the normal stuff. I want to serve you 
where do you want me to go? And I felt God called me to be in Africa long term. And at that point, I said, Jesus, I just need, I want to go wherever you want me to go in Africa. And I was part of a, a New Frontiers, which is the organization that formed Advance that we're part of now. It was a church in Manchester. And um, I was just praying, and I saw this picture of Africa and Ghana lit up. And so out of obedience, I just wrote to the guy who was overseeing Africa at the time and just said, hey, you don't know me, but can you put me in touch with the guy in Ghana who leads a church there? So I went to Ghana, and um, it's incredible. While all my friends were sort of sunning it on the beach, I was having incredible spiritual experiences. In the, we were in the midst of this huge um, witchcraft area where uh, I, I watched as every family cleared out the, the, the dust and filled it, and the oldest son got to carry this um, basket through. But the, the belief at the, where they were in Ghana in that area was that the evil spirits had to come into the person to then take it to the dump. And it was just it was full of spiritual stuff. I saw so many deliverances and healings and stuff while I was there. And I was praying one, one morning. We had this field that was next to the hospital. And in the morning, it's a football field. And we, there was these guys who wanted to be pro football, footballers and... Because I was the white guy, I got to play up front for them, but they were just like, this car's not very really good, and I wasn't. But in the evening, it became a prayer field. And the Ghanaians came out, and everyone was praying and praying and praying. And this guy walks up to me and says, I've never seen a white guy pray like you're praying. And I was just like praying in tongues and being not very British and running around and praying and just joining in with the general vibe of Africa. And he said to me, I've got, I see a picture of you writing a book and people gathering around you and they say, I read your book, and you got healed. And I was 22. I'd never, pray, never seen anyone uh, receive healing through praying for them. Never written anything that got published. And, but I felt God say, this is true. And I put it aside, and then 15 years later, God said, start writing the book. And then I, I, I wrote the book, or started, it, started, started writing it. But then I thought, well, I need a publisher. How do you get a publisher? I'm unknown. You know, at this point, I... I was less well-known than Doug, you know, I didn't, no one knew me. And I, let's be honest, not, none of us really know us in the Christian world, do they? I mean, we're, 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 we're just doing our stuff, but we're not famous in any way. I was, and normally you have to be famous to get a publisher. And so I, I just said, God, I, I, need, I need an agent, because if you get an agent, you get a publisher. So I wrote to this Christian agent in the States, and he said, sure. And he said, what I'll do, we'll write the top eight publishers in the whole of America We'll start there. That's the, that's the Premier League. And then if you don't get anything there, we'll go down to the first division or the championship if you follow soccer. And, and, and then we'll go down to the second division and then there's like self-publishing options and all that. And, and I got seven rejections straight away from these publishers because they've never heard of me. I mean, why should they publish my book? And then I was praying one day and I was, again I saw a, a picture of North America and I saw the, the northeast light up near New York. And I felt God say, I have a publisher for you there. And like, when God speaks, you have an option to believe him or not. And I sort of believed him, and then I thought, no, it's not going to happen. And the thing is, God honors our faith, even if we give up or have unbelief. And uh, a few months later, I got a letter through the post saying, you've been accepted by uh, Whitaker House, which is one of the big publishing houses in the States, completely out of the blue, unexpected. They said, the only problem is you've got to finish in four months. And that would be fine if I had believed God and carried on writing. But I stopped writing because I thought it's not going to happen. And God so fulfilled his word. But I put a huge pressure on myself and my family because I had to get it finished now. 
I think I had to write 50,000 words in four months, which worked out like I think it's 600 words a day, every day, <laughs> nonstop. <laughs> and so it, God speaks. You have to believe him. He honors faith. But sometimes you, there's a battle of unbelief along the way to seeing the victory through. I don't know if you've ever had that. You felt God speak and then you give up. But, but God's word is true. But at university, we, uh, we decided to do a 24-7 prayer night. And you have to have a building that's open 24-7 for seven days. And you, every hour of the night and the day, you fill with slots and stuff. And I felt God say, well, he's got a building for us. Because in the university, no one gives you an open 24-7 prayer room to pray in. And the university was a bit hostile to Christianity anyway. And so um, I felt God say that. And then I just second-guessed myself and thought, have it really spoken? But the guy in charge of prayer, he took me at my word. He said, well, if you heard God, then I'm going to believe it. And then three days before, we still didn't have a building. And we'd advertise this thing. We're going to do this prayer around the clock. And I'd given up, and I thought, I'm, I'm so hopeless. I don't hear God properly, and I've let everyone down. This other guy was, like, full of faith because he heard, he said, God's spoken to you. I take it. And he went to the Salvation Army, and wonderfully, they said, of course you can use our building. And it's interesting. Sometimes you can have faith then you lose the faith. But someone else can carry that, grab the, grab the word and carry it for you. And as, as Christians, brothers, sisters in this church, let's have faith for each other. Someone has an idea, they think it's from God, they're not sure. Let's carry each other in prayer, let's run with each other, let's help each other to hold faith. Faith's a delicate thing, often. Now, the rest of this message, I want to explain how to cultivate this sort of faith. You see, if Jesus is impressed by anything... It's not which family you're born into. It's not how much money you have, how well your life looks on Instagram. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus looks for faith. He said, will I find faith on this earth? So we have all these sort of ideas for our life and stuff, but I want to say this morning, let's focus on the, ki- the currency of the kingdom, which is faith. Now, there's no point in telling you how to get faith and how to cultivate faith if you're not first convinced that out of Pleasing anyone, you want to please Jesus ahead of your boss or your, your spouse. So I want to ask you, do you want to have a shot at causing Jesus to marvel in your life? That's what the centurion did. I don't know if you've seen, this, um, seen the movie Notting Hill. It reminds me of living in the UK, so Michelle and I have watched it quite a few times. But if you know the movie, there's this great scene where you know, um, Julia Roberts comes as a movie star and they don't recognize, some recognize her, some don't. They sit around the table having um, Hugh Grant's sister's birthday, and they, they get to say, well, there's, a, there's the last brownie. Who's, who's going to have the last brownie? They say, oh, I've got an idea. Whoever has the worst life, let's give them the brownie. So they all have a go at sharing their experiences. Then Julia Roberts goes, can I have a go? They go, no, 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 go on. you're a movie star. I mean, why, why should you have a, have a go? Your life's brilliant. She goes, can I at least have a shot at it? And she, she ends up winning the brownie. And, um, but I want to say to you this morning, you get to have a shot at making Jesus marvel. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, if you feel you've messed up your life or you haven't, you, every day you get a fresh start having a shot at making Jesus marvel and go, wow. And what I love about the centurion, he wasn't looking to do that. He was, he was just wanting to help his, his, his servant. He wanted to get, it was a problem-solving but in solving a problem, he, 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 he gave incredible faith and revealed the faith that he understood deep inside of him. 
And so you may not be looking even to operate in great faith. You may just be wanting helping someone. But you get a shot at making Jesus marvel. So the first thing I think is helpful, you've got to define faith. I'm going to keep it really simple because for years I didn't understand what faith was. It's this word that Christians use all the time, and I didn't really get it. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. I read that a few times. Because what does that mean? Does that help me in everyday life operating in faith? And, and so I, I want to give you the, um, the faith for dummies version. And faith is simply this. Faith is acting on the belief in something you cannot see. If you can see it, you don't need faith. So faith is only relevant when there's something you cannot see. And you have to act on it. It's not just, I have faith. It's you operate in faith. Let me give you an example. Every time you step on a plane, is anyone... I assume most people here have stepped on a plane. I'm sure some people haven't yet. But remember that first time, if you did, stepped on a plane, and it starts to take off, and it gets a bit, you, you think, am I being foolish here? We're going into the middle of the sky in, the, in a huge tube of metal. I mean, how do we know it's going to land? How do we know it's going to fall? You ever had that feeling when this starts to take off? And the more you do it, the easier it becomes, and then it becomes nonchalant, and you're there checking your phone while they're doing the safety things. But the first time you're, you're energized, you're alive, you're like, what do I do? And you have to have faith to step on a plane, because it's something you cannot do. You cannot see. So every time you step on a plane, you're trusting that the laws of physics, which you cannot see, are in operation for you today. You're trusting that the, the engineers that made these great engines knew what they were doing. You cannot meet those engineers. You just have to trust them. It's a faith step because it's something you cannot see. You have to trust that the plane has enough thrust to go against the laws of gravity, which again is another law you cannot see. This force that pulls you down. And you have to trust that. You have to step in faith. And of course we do it all the time. It's normal. It's easy. But we're operating in faith. with faith in the engineers, faith in the laws of gravity and physics. We have faith, although every single person on the earth has faith and operates in faith all the time. But it's not biblical faith. It's just faith. And what we're looking at today is what is biblical faith? What is faith in Jesus all about? Because we all have faith. It's just a matter of what the object of that faith is. So I want to ask you, what sort of things do you have faith in at the moment? What things you're operating in you cannot see uh, the more you do it, the easier it comes. Christianity is about living your life as if everything Jesus tells you is true, really is true. You cannot see the kingdom of God. But as Christians, we live in faith that it's true. We, we live in faith, actually, saving yourself for sex before marriage is the best way to live. We can't prove it. There's obviously stats that help us. and There's an experience that... But it's just, Jesus said it. We've got no way of proving it. In faith, we live it. That's living in faith. I mean, it's what about telling the truth? Jesus says, tell the truth. So in faith, we tell the truth. It's much easier to lie. You notice this. You can get through life a lot better. I mean, you get caught every so often. But look at Donald Trump. I loved watching his presidency. The New York Times kept a record of every lie he made in, in public office. It's more than one per day. And that was official communication. It's much easier to lie because you can deceive people. But in faith, we choose as believers to say, we're not going to, the devil's the father of lies. I don't want to follow him. I want to follow the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So in, in faith, we operate 
trusting that when the pressure's on us and there's a chance to lie, a little white lie, or to say the truth, in faith we get to operate in truth, knowing God will be with us. Once you see something, though, you don't need faith. If you were able to meet the engineers who built the plane, you wouldn't need faith in their ability to build the plane. Faith is only relevant when you cannot see. There's a coming time in the future when we won't need faith in Jesus because we'll see Jesus. It says we'll meet him in the air, and then there's a thing called the great white throne judgment of Jesus. That's coming to everyone. That's the good news this morning. There's a great judgment where every decision in your life gets weighed up, and you have to give an account to what you've done. It doesn't sound good news, does it? The good news is, is that all your bad will not be counted against you. It's paid by Jesus. But all your good does get counted for you. There was, Jesus said there were some people who get into heaven just escaping through the flames. They, they, they had saving faith. They had faith that Jesus would save them, but they never operated in anything more than that. But others will get rewarded in response to their operating in faith. And that's what's at stake here today. It's not, your, not getting to heaven. I mean, that may be for some people, but what's really at stake is how is Jesus going to reward you for the good things you've done? We get saved by faith, but we get rewarded by works. It's very important to understand. He says some people will be placed over cities, if you read through his parables, in response to what they've done on earth. If you're a Christian here this morning, you have what theologians call saving faith, but that's entry-level faith. Saving faith means you're trusting that it's true that there's a heaven and a hell, and when you, get, when you die, eventually you're going to get to heaven and then live on a renewed earth. That's what saving faith is. It's trusting that Jesus will pay for our sins, won't hold them against us when we're held before the great white throne. But that's just entry-level kingdom of God stuff. And if you haven't done that entry-level stuff, then we'd love to pray for you after the service. Do that. But today I want to talk about just a step beyond that. What is, what's beyond saving faith? What, what have you got faith for? What is God telling you to have faith for? You ever thought it's strange how with saving faith, people say, oh, I am saved. And then others says, says in the Bible, I'm being saved. And then it says in the Bible, you will be saved. Well, which one is it? Have you been saved? Are you being saved? Or will you be saved? Is it true to say, I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb? You've seen that sort of testimonies? I'm saved, brother. Is that true? It is. Because it's a done deal. Once you come to faith, it's a done deal. But it hasn't happened yet. So it's a done deal that happens in the future. Because Jesus will save us. The moment of escaping the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God, hasn't actually happened because we haven't stood before the great white throne. I grew up singing the national anthem in England, which is God Save the Queen. I know she's a controversial figure in Africa. And now we switch to God Save the King. And what's interesting is... We're singing a song as a nation saying, God, save the queen. And I think now, God save the king is far more important because I don't think the king does know God. But the, the queen, I think, came to faith. I don't know if it's the answer to all those people singing, but she said this on the 20, 2011 Christmas Day broadcast. She says, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent in the world a unique person Neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a savior with the power to forgive. Now the centurion in the passage goes beyond this because he's already been referenced to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. 
But Jesus marveled not just at his ability to understand he needs Jesus to rescue him, which I don't think he fully understood at the time, but, but Jesus goes beyond that. He, the, the servant had faith for Jesus to heal. Sometimes people have, what the Bible says, the gift of faith. And that's, again, that's beyond the saving faith. And amazingly, because of his faith, the centurion received what he asked for. He just said, speak the command. I'm a man under authority. I understand if, you, if um, I tell a servant to go, he goes. And what is he saying to Jesus? He's saying, you're, the, you're, under, you're a person under authority as well. But the difference is, you don't command human beings to come and go. You command sickness to come and go. And just say the word. You don't need to do anything, Jesus. I trust you because I don't need to go to someone's house to tell them to do something. I just say the word and they go. Just do the same, Jesus. That's faith. That's saying, I, I understand who you are, Jesus. If you say something, I'll live it out and believe it. We have wobbles of unbelief. God speaks that I'll write a book, uh, and I'm not sure. Did I hear God? But you keep living it out, and then the faith comes through. What Jesus said will happen. Now, obviously, prophetic stuff is always conditional, and you've got to weigh things. And you've got, have you heard God? Is a legitimate question to ask. But when, if God has actually spoken... And what he speaks will come to pass if you're obedient in all, in all that you do. Jesus was amazed by the centurion. We get a shot at amazing Jesus with our faith. And we have to believe that Jesus really is who he is and live it out. Faith isn't just believing, because then it's a belief. Faith is the living out of your belief. That's the hard part. It's when the rubber hits the road. Anyone can believe. Jesus said even the demons believe. But faith is acting on your belief and living like it's true. So if you are generous and give a lot of money away, you're trusting that God really is your provider. It's the act of giving the money away that when you act in faith, it's not the, the, the desire to give the money away. It's when you feel God leads you to pray for someone, it's the act of actually praying for them where you're, where you're showing faith. The centurion understood who Jesus was. and Even though he couldn't see, he operated in faith to, to receive healing for his servant. Now, faith like this takes time to grow. I don't know if you've operated in faith, what victories you've had in faith, but it takes time. It's like a muscle. You have to build it up. As you see more and more victories, you get more and more confident. Have you experienced that? Some people just have an ability just to be generous, and they know God will back them. And eventually they'll, they'll give beyond their means, and they just know. We were, Doug and I were at an advanced conference, and there was this pastor from um, Centurion who just had this, he's developed over years and years of practice of just having faith to see God provide if he, he is generous. And he, he, he wouldn't have enough money in his bank account to pay his staff, and God would say, give the money away to that other church. He'd give it to a little Pentecostal church down the road. And they'd have nothing on the, on the day when they needed to pay the salaries. And then on that day, the money would come in. And some people, they develop the faith in the small, and it's in Jesus in the parables teaches, you know, start small, and then you grow and grow and grow. I'm not saying be reckless. You have to learn what faith is. There's nuance to it. There's, you have to fellowship with Jesus and learn it. You'll make mistakes along the way. All of us will. What are you trusting God for? What have you had victories in faith? Some people have the real faith to see people come to faith. They, we call them evangelists. But in reality, they just have a lot of faith. They know if they preach a certain way or speak a certain thing, they follow what Jesus is saying, 
that, God, that people will come to faith. I, I remember listening to a tape of John Wimber, and he, at the time, in the 80s, he was a huge guy of faith. He founded the Vineyard Churches. And this one guy said to him, look, you speak about healing and stuff, or you speak about evangelism, but how does it work? And it was the end of the conference, and John goes, okay, I'll show you. And he, said, he walked out of the conference venue, there's a McDonald's over the road, he walks in the McDonald's, he looks around the McDonald's, he sees a lady, he just comes and says, hi, my name's John, this is Alan, uh, we're learning about how God um, brings uh, faith to people, we just, I just feel I've got a word for you, do you mind if I sit down and share with what I'm feeling God's saying to you? And the, and the, the lady came to faith, and the guy was absolutely gobsmacked that it was so easy, but it was easy because he'd walked the journey. He'd learned how to do it. And what happened? He said, well, how did that work, John? And he said, well, when I walked into McDonald's, I had no clue where we're going. I just knew that if I walked in there with faith, God would back me. As I stepped the threshold into the door of McDonald's, I I looked around, I saw this lady, and I just instantly knew that God had something for her. And as I walked, I still hadn't got anything for her, but as I walked towards her, I trusted that God would give me the words in the moment I needed them. So I introduced myself, and then God gave me the word. This is a journey We don't get taught how to operate in faith very often. But it's something well worth doing. And there's there's clues in this passage in how to do it. We have to build a track record. So in our church, during lockdown, I'm sure you had a similar situation. We had a lot of people with needs. And I I must say, I got a bit heartfelt of, like, we we can't just keep giving people money for rent every month. And it got to that point where like, they're saying, I can't feed my children, what do I do? And, and eventually we started praying for jobs. And it's in lockdown when people weren't hiring people. And after being faithful in prayer month and month and month, people started to get jobs. And then the next person became easier to pray and had more faith that the person would get a job. And the next person, we had a guy called Freddie in our church who, after months of being out of work, got a job. There's a couple um, who came in and he, it was the first visit, he had an epileptic fit, and he got sacked from his job, sort of well, pushed out slowly, because he had epilepsy happening every single moment. Every hour he'd have an epileptic fit of some sort, you know, absent seizure. But in church, he just like full-on had an epileptic fit, and we gathered around and we prayed for him. We prayed for him, and eventually the fit just went away. And we prayed for him again, and he got a job. And his wife didn't have a job, and they were still struggling. We prayed for her to get a job. She got a job. There's a, another guy in church who used to be a panel beater. He got retrenched on lockdown, and he took a risk to, he was living with his brother, and his brother said, look, it's time to move out now. And he, says, he said to me, I, Andrew, I've just got a job, because again, we prayed. Or we started doing business. He resurrected his business. He said, I don't have got enough money to survive. I said, I don't think you've got much choice. You've been living with your brother for a long, long time now, and you just, you just need to take this step of faith. And then, <laughs> he, sorry, he did that, and then a month later, he comes to me and said, I don't have money to pay the rent. What do I do? And he said, <laughs> he said you know, you told me to move out. It's like the pressure's on me now. Like, it's my problem. It's like, uh, don't accept problems from people. Don't accept pressure if it's a faith thing. Say, so, look, we prayed. We trusted God. We felt it's the right move from God. The pressure's now on God. Let's just trust God. And God came through. When people put pressure on you, you've got to deflect it back and say, let's trust God, because God is the one who provides. I don't provide. Okay, we've got, a, we've got a amount of cash we can give people who are struggling in our church. We set aside that every month, and in faith we give that, like people tithe, like individuals tithe, we, we give that 
not knowing if it will survive at the end of the month. Just we, in faith, we give it. And you can grow faith by doing that. But it's a journey you need to work, walk through. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to mishear God. Just pick yourselves up, move on. God wants to train us. It's a bit like a toddler. You know, a toddler learns to work, to walk. They don't suddenly start walking perfectly. In your journey of faith, when you start off, you're going to take a step, you're going to fall down, flatten your faith. Face. I remember once I felt God say, go speak to this guy on the bus stop and give him a message. And I went there and I said, this is what I feel. Hi, my name is Andrew. This is what I feel God's saying to you. Does that resonate? He says, no, not at all, mate. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> okay. And then you're like, did I hear God? How do I learn to hear God and stuff? And then there was, there was another time we went to an evangelistic conference and we, said, we were sent out to go and pray for people. And I met this guy who was like just delinquent hanging around at the playground in the UK. And he, we just said, hey, can we chat to you? Can we pray for you? And um, I, we prayed and I saw a picture of him sitting in a tree as a kid saying, God, are you real? I need to know if you're real. And I shared that with him and I said, does that make sense to you? And as I shared it, his face went white. But he was with his mates who he didn't want to admit that. So he said, no, that's not true. But I, I could see it was. And sometimes you're going to get people who aren't brave enough even to admit that what you said is true, but you just trust God and you keep going on. You bring words even if people react to them or they don't. It's very important. We step forward in faith. I was once at a conference and they said, we're going to practice words of knowledge. And these whole, people a whole host of words of knowledge. And one person had this word of knowledge, that was someone here with numbness in the left side of the tongue. And at that moment, I was feeling numbness in the left side of the tongue. And said, so, if that's you, can you go to the front? And I was too petrified to go to the front. And I felt so guilty because that poor guy or girl, I can't remember who it was, stepped out in faith. And I could have affirmed they'd heard God correctly, and I didn't. Just pick yourself up, say sorry, repent, move on. I hope that God will sort that person out. Okay, one more story. I was in church in Manchester... And I felt God say to me, go speak to that couple and tell them that what they've prayed is going to happen today. Well, I can't do that, God. That's, that sounds too, too, too difficult a, a thing to deliver. And it's God's like, it's not my, it's, it's, it's not you delivering. You just deliver the message. I do the, the stuff. And the sad thing, and the thing that stopped me was like, this, this couple, the, the husband had this degenerative brain disease, and they've been, I knew they'd been praying for years for God to heal. And I thought, I'm going to set these up for failure. I said, God, I trust you. I don't really have faith that you're going to heal this guy, but the message is what they prayed for, you're going to answer today. So I went and I said, this is the message. <laughs> and then scuttled off and thought, and I ran home. Actually, I didn't speak to anyone else. I got in my car, went home. I prayed for the next few hours. I said, God, I don't want to let this guy down. What do I do? I've said, I've been obedient, but I just don't have faith you're going to do this. I mean, we've never seen this in our church. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I'm scared that Monday morning or Tuesday, the pastor of the church would phone me up and say, Andrew, what are you doing? You're causing people to have high hopes and they're crashing down. Because I knew, I just knew this guy wasn't going to get healed. I just had no faith in this. But I had to be obedient to what I felt God say. That next Sunday, I had no phone calls. So I was like, okay, phew. Next Sunday, come to church. I was like, ah. Oh. I want to avoid this couple. And they came bounding up to me. 
But I could see he wasn't healed. And he said, you never guess what happens. Thank you so much for that word. Our son, who we've been praying, who's lost, we lost touch with, he got in touch with us that very afternoon. Sometimes we think what God's going to do when we, we get in a mess. God is faithful. We just have to be obedient. And we're going to stumble. We're going to, we're going to fall on our face like a little toddler. We get up, and one day we'll walk. And one day we'll run. But you're going to stumble on the way. You're going to have the devil will give you sort of things that will make you feel like you're doing the wrong thing. And you've got to battle through. This is the battle of faith. The most important thing about faith is who you have faith in. Because if it's in Jesus, he'll never let you down. Those two rock climbers, Tim Keller tells his story. He said, one rock climber, or both of them reached this point in the wall where they had to make a leap to carry on. They couldn't sort of stretch, and, and both of them knew they had to do this leap. And the first one was very confident in the rock he'd chosen. And he leapt and landed on the rock, and the rock crumbled, and he fell on his rope, you know. And the second rock climber was not very confident at all. He didn't have much faith at all in this rock he'd chosen. But he leapt, and he landed on the rock, and the rock held. It's not important how much faith you have. It's do you have faith in the right rock? Jesus is the rock of ages. He'll never let you down. No matter how much, if you have faith small as a mustard seed, if you put that faith in Jesus, he won't let you down. And you'll hold. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to guide us. We're not on our own. We're not orphans. We get guided how to operate in faith. But ultimately, as we come to God with our needs, we rely on him to meet them, then we're acting in faith. Charles Spurgeon said, I have a great need for Christ, but I have a great Christ for my need. And that's the reality where we are today. It's not our faith that matters. Yes, we have to operate in faith. Yes, we have to step out in faith. Yes, we have to learn what it is to operate in the currency of the kingdom, which is faith. But even that faith is a gift from God. He helps us make the steps like he's the dad guiding the toddler along. First time I ever prayed for deliverance for somebody. I had a feeble prayer to command the evil to leave. And I just saw this picture of like, me being a little toddler saying, go. And behind, like the, the greatest father ever, saying, do what he says. That's what faith is. God backs us our feeble prayers with his resounding yes and amen. That's our God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the God of faith. That you can give us faith and then reward us for, for having that faith. Thank you that we get a chance to be as Gentiles here today to marvel in front of you. Pray for everyone here that wants to grow in faith that you'll teach us how to do that, Jesus. Amen. We're going to...